0: Hello, and welcome to episode 127 of The Ethical Life, a place where each week we talk about the intersection of ethics and modern life. I'm Scott Rada, social media manager for Lee Enterprises, and I am joined as always by Rick Kite, who is the head of the Ethics Institute at Viterbo University in La Crosse, Wisconsin. Hello, Rick. Hi, Scott. We live in a country of laws. But it sometimes seems like there are certain laws that aren't enforced in consistent or substantial ways. On today's show, I wanted to look at three topics where, it appears, enforcement is down and law breaking is up. And Rick, I thought we'd start with what, frankly, I think is one of the most underreported problems in America today. That's chronic absenteeism in our schools. And for those who don't know, chronic absenteeism means that, and it varies a little bit by state to state, how you uh, uh, categorize this, but it's about uh, students missing at least 10% of days during the school year. And this problem has nearly doubled since the end of the pandemic. I won't ask you if you think this is a problem, I'm confident you do, but what's the solution or what's the, what things should we be looking at here to try to turn this around?
1: One of the things you want to look at is why did the absenteeism rate increase? And it really increased after the pandemic and many schools closed for a considerable period of time, or they went online without good enforcement and also without good quality for the online instruction. And we just sort of lost, we just really lost track of kids sometimes. Lost track of kids. So like in lost, so lost communication with their parents. Mm-hmm. Um, but main thing is they disrupted the habits, and habits are formed over a long period of time. And when you disrupt habits, it's really hard to form them again. And so, like, going to school isn't something that's naturally agreeable. Most, most, I would say, like, there's some kids that enjoy going to school, and and their parents create conditions in which it is fun, it is expected, and so forth. But there's plenty of kids who, for them, school isn't that interesting And if they're in an environment where the parents aren't really pushing them or don't
0: have the means to push them to go, you disrupt those habits and suddenly they aren't going anymore. And and it seems like there's sort of two approaches here would be one to go after the parents. And because I mean, it's, I think in all 50 states, if you're younger than 18, going to school is an option. And yeah, and there are set asides for homeschooling and other sort of niche situations. But I mean, we're not talking about those in this conversation. There's a requirement that, that parents send their kids to school. And I mean, I think, and I I, I grew up in a district where this, when I went, this was, of course, long before COVID. But when this was not really a huge problem, but I remember hearing stories in other maybe larger cities where you had like a truancy officer who would go out and patrol playgrounds and basketball courts, looking for looking for kids who appeared to be a younger than 18 during the school day. I don't get the sense that happens a lot anymore, but well, there's a twist, but go ahead. I think that varies from state to state
1: mm-hmm. and district to district. Um, but I think I think there needs to be a two-pronged approach like we do with with many things. Um, like when you're parenting, you ought, to, you ought to encourage good behavior and occasionally punish the really bad behavior. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what we ought to do as a society for school absenteeism yeah. is you you have to have good communication. You have to know what's going on in the family. So this requires visits to the homes because otherwise right. you just don't know what's going uh, on.
0: By s- school by, district staff or-, or
1: Yeah. Yeah somebody so that they, they know that they're talking to the right people and they know that there aren't like um, issues that might be addressed that are causing these absences that they could do something different in the school or help out with certain conditions at home and there's no reason to punish parents who are making a good faith effort to get their kids to school but are having real difficulties because something has happened so for example if they're on a in an area where there's not a bus bus route, and they're you're used to driving their kids to school, and their car breaks down, and it, they don't have the money to fix the car, so it's a transportation issue. Um, it's good to know that, mm-hmm. right? On the other hand, there are other parents that like just don't care if their kids go to school or not, and nothing you can do to help them out is going to make a difference because they're just being negligent. And I think it's it's perfectly fine. To have a punishment for them and insist because
0: that's for the good of their kids. Well, and I would extend it even further, it's for the good of society. Right, both. And um, and and we'll link to this story in the show notes, but ProPublica had a, a story that did a couple of things. One, it outlined this problem and how it's exploded since the start of the pandemic, but it also talked about one of the solutions that has come up in places, and, and I guess it's sort of one of those uh, situations where if there is a, a definite problem, like chronic absenteeism, sometimes there's some entrepreneurs that spring up trying to solve this, and there are private companies who are now uh, being hired by certain districts to try to solve this problem. I, I guess it's probably maybe too early to know how successful this would be, but do you, do you have a problem with that concept in general?
1: I don't have a problem with the concept as long as it's um, this, the schools themselves are really have a good relationship with the company, and they know that the company is doing a good job of working to maintain relationships with those parents and and feed them reliable information. Because frankly, so many so many school districts are severely underfunded right now, um, and this is especially in, true in many of the inner city schools and high poverty areas, these are also schools that have the highest absentee rates, and they don't have the resources to go visit the homes Mm -hmm. and uh, see what's going on. And so if if they have some funding to hire a company to go out and do that work for them and they're actually following up with them
0: and they're doing a good job, I have no problem with that. So the the sort of the way we're framing up the show today is, uh, you know, how you hold uh, people accountable, how punishment or incentives can, you know, help get these uh, desired outcomes. You know, two things I wanted to, to touch on before we move on to the next topic, though. We've heard in different sectors across the economy where more and more people, adults, are working from home. You know, uh, maybe one day a week, maybe two days a week have a and, and often a lot of employers are offering more flexibility. and of course, this has also increased greatly since the pandemic. I've not seen any firm data as to whether workplace absenteeism is up since the pandemic. My guess is it's not in any significant way. And so I guess the question is, is should schools be more flexible, In the same way that workplaces have become more flexible, you know that and and workplace some uh, human resource departments will tell you that they're able to retain good employees by saying, "Hey, you know, every Friday you have the option of working from home or how whatever the cadence might be." Should we consider taking that same approach for students, or is that just an entirely different thing that just may not work remotely, as maybe the pandemic showed us?
1: Entirely different thing, um, I, and until we get some kind of data that uh, online education is just as effective at helping students meet all the educational outcomes that we desire for them, um, it's just irresponsible to say, "Oh, it's just fine for us if if students participate in online work instead of instead of in school." And the other thing is a, a big part of school is socialization. Mm-hmm. And, and
0: um, that's hard to do over Zoom.
1: Right. And we know, like, overall, students lost a lot of ground. And
0: uh, Well, in, in not to interrupt, but in, you say they lost a lot of ground. Some of that's measurable when it comes to test scores. What's it's tougher to measure, though, is the social uh, loss that was captured.
1: Right. And we're, we're getting some indication of that, that, you know, we're having— um, I, I think, in fact, I think the absentee problem is— really a loss of socialization in many respects. That is like a loss of, of what we call civic habits of interaction with, with people, and that includes how we communicate with one another. We also have indication that misbehavior is up at schools. This is like measurable yeah. lack of socialization. So, yeah, there's a number of indications that it just doesn't work as well. Now, there might be individuals, especially when you get into high school and you have individuals who are coming from like a pretty stable home foundation and they've got pretty good work ethic of their own they could have certain classes or some things that are online and they're going to do very very well but those are case by case basis that's that's not the typical student
0: so it sounds like we've sort of come to the agreement here that it's is this is a of course a problem a significant problem and that holding uh, parents who, accountable for, especially the ones who have the ability to uh, get their kids to school is an important piece in this puzzle.
1: Yes, and I, so I think it's partly, you, you want to reestablish the habit of going to school yeah. for the kids. Um, but it's also societal norms, which has to do with our expectations and both our our, our willingness to be self-regulating, right? Now, all the things we're talking about today, we're we're talking about different kinds of kind of social rule breaking, right? Where where compliance with some sort of social expectation is way down. Um, Plato thought that the proliferation of laws and the enforcement of laws is a sign of an unhealthy society because it means that people aren't able to regulate their own conduct they require external means to make them do what this society as a whole agrees they should do. Mm-hmm. And um, the Greeks in general didn't think a democracy could function without a high level of internal regulation. And um, this is what I see happening overall over a long period of time. It's not just a matter of the pandemic, but we've seen a, a g- gradual deterioration for quite some time of the ability to look inward and say, um, as citizens, to say, now, we've got some kind of problem going on in our society. How am I contributing to it? How can I change my behavior in order to make an improvement? And, and, And I also think part of this is a problem with schools. We've increasingly used schools as a way of kind of Uh, pushing children, this is a big part of the culture wars, pushing children, trying to shape attitudes that we want to see reflected in the culture as a whole, instead of thinking of schools as the place where children learn self-regulation. And this is the old idea of, like, school is one of the places where children learn virtues, Mm -hmm. right? And we've moved far away from that idea of the, the, the schools as a place where they learn virtues, and we really push the ideas, they learn social attitudes, which is mainly their expectations of what other people should do. You know, and that's that's 180 from what I think the proper role of schools should be is we need schools that are mainly focused on self-control, not like proper attitudes about how other people should act or think.
0: Well, the, the first topic, schools, was focused, you know, primarily on kids and, and, and certainly on the parents and how they respond. The the second piece, though, is about people, well, at least 16 years and older, and that's on traffic. And, and studies have shown that our roads are less safe today than they have been in quite some time. Uh, traffic deaths are up. Pedestrian deaths caused by traffic or caused by crashes are up significantly, and this is happening at the same time where police are pulling over fewer drivers in in many of the parts of our country and and this is is and there's some similarities here though by what you were just talking about with self-regulation almost everybody knows at least i mean i'm sure you can get into some arcane uh traffic laws but i mean general things like red means stop and green means go and their speed limits and Things like that are, I think, almost every driver knows. And we're not seeing uh, the same respect for a lot of those uh, norms and laws that we used to. At the same time, I think part of that, at least it seems to me, is that we're not enforcing those things as much as we used to. And do you see a connection there, too? Uh, yeah.
1: I I think part of it is lack of enforcement because the lack of enforcement it's not so much that you're changing behavior of of each of those individual drivers because it's not really enforcement that gets people to be responsible drivers right um most of the times when you come to a stop sign or a street light or something the reason that people obey those traffic signs is not because they think there's law enforcement somewhere around it's because that's just what you do Mm -hmm. right But I'll give you an example of this. I was uh, driving here today. Um, I came to a stoplight. I bet you know which one it was, where right after the stoplight, there was Uh, closing of a lane. Yes, on a busy street. On a busy street. So traffic was really backed up behind it. The driver just ahead of me, we were halfway down the block from the, the stoplight, and it turns green. And the driver's looking at their phone or something like that. So they stay stopped. While the rest of the traffic is going ahead through the green light, you know, people start honking and so forth. The driver finally looks up, takes off really fast, goes through a yellow, actually probably went through the red right at the tail end of the yellow. But this means like seven or eight cars that are in that line that are already really backed up don't get to go through the light at this time. Well, when this sort of thing happens over and over, you get to be pretty frustrated with your fellow drivers, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And then what happens is more and more aggressive driving happens where people aren't collaborating to try to help everybody get into a merge, for example, in the most efficient manner possible. Um, They're looking out for themselves. You get more accidents, you get more aggressive driving. And so what you need in a society is you need people who are voluntarily complying with the laws because it's the most efficient way for all of us to get where we want to safely.
0: Okay, I'll, see, I'll give you something else you might mm-hmm. need. And, this was a, and, and we'll, well, we'll link to this in the show notes too. A couple of weeks ago, the New York Times had a really good piece on, again, the terrible trend of increased pedestrian deaths. And they were trying to find out why mm-hmm. this was. And, and there was not a solid conclusion as to why. Um, some of the contributing factors were vehicles are getting larger, And that can be more dangerous for pedestrians. What you just said, where, you know, people being distracted by cell phones is another one. But what what the, the interesting thing is, is we have cell phones and we have cars. Europe has cell phones and has cars. But there seems to be a much less of a problem in Europe when it comes to that. Do you know what the hypothesis is for that? No. In Europe more people have manual transmissions oh so you can't be holding your phone exactly or, yeah which is interesting and something i hadn't thought about before so maybe we just need and this will never happen but maybe we just need to have a lot more manual transmission cars to keep people's hands on the uh, the, the car and not on their phone
1: well i don't know if it's still the case but i remember about 10 years ago or so hearing that like in germany People don't eat and drink in their cars. They don't mm. regard their car as a portable restaurant. The yeah. car is for driving, so they take driving much more seriously. So they're more attentive. They're more focusing on the road. And um, you know, Americans are notorious. Oh yeah, for doing everything in the car. You Ma- know,
0: yeah, makeup and 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 food and drink and and sometimes all three at the same time. Right. Yeah. Plus the phone. <laughs> and maybe taking a selfie showing how busy your life is. So if if we do, I mean, and there are some people who might think that if we start increasing enforcement of our traffic laws, whatever those may be, um, you would hope that that would encourage people to be safer. There would also be people who would say, though, that they're by the nature of how we enforce those laws, and almost unless it's a you know unless it's something criminal, they're usually citations and. You get a speeding ticket, and oh, I'm, fortunately, I unfortunately haven't had a speeding ticket in a long time. But I think they're they're at least the last one I had was I think was like 120 bucks. Does that seem about right? Yeah, or higher. Yeah, and I mean, I don't want to pay 120 dollars, but it's not going to like mean I'd go hungry for the next week. But I mean, like for some people, 120 bucks is like a whole lot of. It's like a, that like can ruin the month. And is it fair to you that? If going home today, uh, I'll pick on Elon Musk, because nobody ever picks on Elon Musk, and he's probably a very safe driver. He may not even drive, but I have no idea. But if he did get a speeding ticket on the way home, that his speeding ticket would be the same amount as someone who is making $15 an hour working at a fast food restaurant. Does that strike you as fair?
1: Um, Yes. What's not fair is for many people who get the tic- t- tickets the uh it represents a real hardship so mm-hmm. so i i'm i've always for, for for a very long time i've been an advocate for uh con- consistent visible enforcement with low penalties okay because the size of the penalties don't really make much difference they're not showing to make a big difference in deterring people like i like for for example, we're not even sure what a traffic ticket would cost us right now. Yeah,
0: yeah, I'm now, not. I have no idea. Yeah, and mine was actually last when I was in a, uh, another state, so it's probably different in this state. I have no idea.
1: And and generally, most people are going to drive the speed that other people are driving on the road. Mm-hmm. There's a few exceptions. You'll get somebody who's racing past you, yeah. and and what you want to see is you want to see those people pulled over, and you want to and and you want it to be visible. So I. So, And we know that a real visible police presence or highway patrol presence, that does a good job in controlling speeds. But it's not, we have such inconsistent enforcement too. I mean, there's roads, I think we've even talked about this before, but there's roads here in town where people are consistently driving about 10 miles over the speed limit. Um, I asked my students last night, uh, like, um, what's the lowest amount over the speed limit any of them have been pulled over for? and one of them said they were, they were pulled over from going three miles over the speed limit. Oh
0: my goodness! Like
1: forty eight in a forty five. Huh. And like that seems really odd. Like like where would that be? Well, there's certain towns and townships that are notorious for doing this. It's sort of a rough street, yeah. Right. Yeah, that sort of thing like is that doesn't help the the idea that we all need to be responsible. That promotes a culture in which you just have to be lucky or be really aware of where they're trying to get you, um, and other places you can get away with it.
0: And this will kind of carry on to our our, our final topic here in a second. But you know that happens in, in our state here in Wisconsin, and I would imagine it happens in states across this country, where especially around this usually is in the summertime. Think Memorial Day, Fourth of July, Labor Day, real heavy traffic areas. The state patrol will put out a press release saying we are running aggressive traffic enforcement, sometimes uh, by the on from the air, even on these three or four major uh, uh, interstate highways. So be careful out there. And and be, and you might and you know some people might think that's strange because they're not, is, is it their goal to ride a bunch of tickets? But I think their goal is to slow down traffic. And if and if and I don't think they I don't think they're lying about. Uh, heavier traffic enforcement in those times, but letting people know about it, hopefully, will uh, slow people down, and 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 that's really the goal here, right? It's not to write a bunch of tickets,
1: right? And and I think we know that like that sort of campaign works really well mm-hmm. at slowing down traffic, yeah, letting yeah. people know. A few years ago, I I was pulled over on a rural highway. I think it was a county road, but it was. It was blacktop. The speed limit was 55, all throughout the area. And I'd just come to a, a stop, and I'd made a right turn, and I started accelerating up to the speed that I'd been traveling. And um, maybe a half mile down the road, I noticed lights flashing behind me, and I pull over. I rolled my window down, and an uh, officer came up and asked if he knew why I if I knew why he was pulling me over. And I said, "No, I have no idea." I was. I 55 to 60 something like that and said well the speed limit right here is 45 I had no idea mm-hmm. there wasn't there weren't any buildings there was a farm nearby mm-hmm. but it, it, at some point it had been a like a little town or oh, something but most of those buildings had gone around but this is a legacy thing where this speed limit in that section was still that local people knew it yeah and so he asked me what I was doing where I was and I said I'd just been visiting somebody I'd never been on the road before and he said, "Well, like, just remember if you're going down this road again, that it's 45 through this area." And he was very polite about mm-hmm. it. Um, and but that sort of thing, I thought that was just as effective as giving me a ticket. Yeah, you know, because um, I wasn't, I wasn't speeding because I was trying to get away with something. Yeah, but I think he probably knew that there are a lot of people that didn't know that wouldn't notice that it was 45 right there. Uh, they the. You know, this, this consistent enforcement is, I think, really important. And the other thing that we know in some areas, the reason why traffic incidents are up is because after George Floyd, there's been a lot of attention to racial, racial disparity in traffic enforcement and what happens as a result sometimes of, of these encounters with, with law enforcement. And there's been a pullback of enforcing Certain kinds of minor traffic infractions, but I don't think that's the way we address that problem. I mean, if we if we have if we have racial disparities in the way people are being treated by law enforcement, you need to address the racial disparities. You don't do it by saying, "Okay, we're just not going to have uh, law enforcement of things where where it really is causing a safety issue."
0: Well, and we need to get on to the next topic here, but I just wanted to say on that same point that I think you're right. And I think, and I've said this on the show before, and I'll say it again, that for that reason and for others as well, that the best thing we could do is to automate some of these routine enforcement measures, whether it's red light cameras, whether it's speed cameras. Like you said, I think you should also be very clear and sign them and saying, you know, the Posted speed here is 45, and there are speed cameras everywhere. And if you're going much above that, expect to find a ticket in the mail. I think that is great. I think it stops those tricky police stops that you mentioned. It's also very colorblind in its approach. It's not going to pull over certain types or write, you know, it's just a camera that's snapping a picture, and then it sends you a a citation. There's no, no bias there. And finally it allows police officers to focus what i would argue is on more important things yes there are times where we've all heard stories where a quote unquote routine traffic stop leads to the arrest of a of an important criminal in an important case and i guess that's something that can happen but since that is a, a very small no- amount of the time i think getting rid of uh, taking police officers out of the equation and and automating that is good. Secondly, I'll say real quickly on the topic of automation that I just cannot wait until man, I don't know when this is going to happen and we're not quite there yet, but until when, but I'm convinced that when we have self-driving cars that are safe and reliable that is going to be uh make our roads and lives much, much safer. It won't be perfect, and it's going to be a weird ethical thing that we can probably talk about more in detail some other time. The, if the death rate goes uh, gets reduced 75% uh, once you have self-driving cars, to me that's a huge win. Of course, there will be some people that will say that in that 25%, if there's fatali- you know, fatalities, are now caused not by careless people, but by computers and i'm sure that will make some people uncomfortable i would say reducing the fatality rate by 75% is a win
1: i would too um traveling by car of all the major modes of transportation traveling by car is by far the most dangerous and it's not even close parachuting
0: is also close to yeah. that
1: I yeah yeah i don't know if that's a major
0: mode not of transportation, a major transportation but, it, method. Okay.
1: but it is a way of getting from point a it to is. point b it is it is
0: yeah. but yes you're of course you're right yeah um, going on to our third and topic, it's a little bit different, and I'll, I'll kind of explain why it's shoplifting. And um, there has been a lot of talk over the past uh, couple of years now about shoplifting and how it is uh, increased greatly, how there, there are stories all around um, TV news and sometimes on social media about these organized groups that will come in and ransack stores and, and take... High ticket items very brazenly, and that's obviously a bad thing. However, that if you look at it more closely, the overall shrinkage, uh, which is uh, how what stores call sort of loss through uh, theft and other means, has been relatively steady over the past 10 or so years at about 1.6% of overall sales. And I'm convinced that. A lot of this worry or increased alarm over uh, this issue in, among many people is A, sometimes you see these, you know, we have more cameras out there. So these cameras catch these sort of brazen criminals and it makes for good TV. So you see that. And two, for reasons that I think we understand, a lot of many stores now are keeping more and more things locked up. And I think people just assume, well, they're locking up the disposable razors and the cough syrup and all these other things. So clearly theft's a huge problem. And I, I, so I guess I want you to talk about that. And then the second thing I wanted to kind of touch on and kind of going back to what you, we just talked about when it came to traffic enforcement is the way many retail stores look at it is they don't really much care if they make an arrest. Or if they don't have the power to arrest people, to stop someone and and involve the police and and that leads to an arrest. They just want to have the person be aware that there is security, be aware that they may be being watched and to drop the item and leave the store and, and everybody can go on with their lives. That, I think, is the approach many stores are taking. Is that enough? And what are your thoughts on this topic that has really been kind of a, a, a big issue in, in parts of our society over the past year or two?
1: Yeah, this shoplifting stories, the perception that it's getting worse and worse, and it's continued to get worse since the pandemic, actually went way down during the pandemic, yeah. and then it rose afterwards. Yeah, Public perception of this has very little to do with, with the actual data. Just like public perception of the economy yeah. has hardly anything to do with the data. I mean, like something like 95% of Republicans thought the economy was going great until the day that Biden was inaugurated. Then only about 2% thought it was great. Yeah. It, it goes
0: like from 95 yeah. after, to after 2 he, After he was the inauguration ball, somehow that just turned the economy. It happened. Yeah. And, yeah, yeah. and then the Democratic perception
1: you know, goes from way down to way up. Yep. Yep. And and, and you realize, well, it's partly because of the news that the different groups are watching, but it's also partly our expectations. And there is a lot of, as you, as you said, social media shows a lot of, the, emphasizes the bad stuff because there's cameras everywhere right. and that can be shared. Um, and then there's also a few places that are outside the norm. So even though shoplifting has been going gradually down, like in Portland, it's gone up mm-hmm. and gone up quite a bit. And so just in the past couple of weeks, uh, Nike, REI, and Target have all announced closing stores mm-hmm. in Portland. Um, and a couple of the companies, I think it's a, REI or Nike, maybe both of them, are building large new stores just on the outskirts of Portland. Well, Which is
0: deemed to be a safer place. And
1: safe. they don't have the problem of homelessness. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So the cities with a huge problem with homelessness... Also, seem to have more shoplifting, um, and they're also seeing a decline in shoppers going to those stores where there's a large, invisible problem with homelessness in those areas around the store.
0: Yeah, it just feels sort of undefinably unsafe.
1: Yeah, yeah, and so the, the, then those stories about those places kind of lead the news, right? But but that overall, in in most places in the country. Shoplifting is not increasing. I think the other, the other thing that might be happening is that it, it seems like there's more violent incidents in stores. And so you have, especially in some cities, uh, the people working in the stores as clerks and security officers and so forth, they're facing more abusive uh, disagreeable and sometimes downright dangerous behavior from customers.
0: Well, and they're they're sort of the one and the individual customers, but they're all are also and this has probably been going on for a long time, but I think there are these a professional a professionalization of shoplifting too, where it's not just some person who just needs an extra hundred dollars to get by so they go and take whatever they take versus an organized group of people who, sit down and plan an operation and execute the operation. And that's a whole different situation.
1: Yeah. I, I wonder also in with more automated uh, checkout counters, yeah. if more people are just walking right by them with goods. I mean, and, and I've wondered about that as I've visited a few larger cities in the past couple of years where I've been to stores where you just, you have a hard time locating an actual person.
0: An employee,
1: an employee, mm-hmm. and not anywhere near the door, and where there's no security guards or any. I'm, I'm thinking, like, what keeps somebody from walking out the door? Or sometime?
0: again, I, 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 I don't use self checkout very often, but, and, and I've not done this, but you know, you do wonder that if you have four things in your cart, and three of them are worth three dollars, and the fourth thing is worth twenty dollars. Well, why can't you just scan the 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 you know the $3 one four times and slip the fourth one in the bag? I mean, if if I I do wonder that if stores were truly worried about shrinkage that a huge reliance on self-checkouts does seem to be at odds with that worry.
1: Yeah, so it, it there must be a calculation there at some point that the increased loss from shrinkage is is made up for by the saving in wages. Yeah,
0: maybe, yeah. Maybe if, it, if you, and I'm just making up numbers, but if the shrinkage is 1.6%, well, if you know that it goes to 1.9%, but you're not paying eight cashiers to stand there for eight hours a day, maybe you come out ahead. And I don't know, it says that's probably a pretty, uh, I don't know if that's, if that is is that a good, would that would that be a good ethical decision if you ran a store? Would you be? How would you feel about that?
1: Uh, I think it would depend a lot on how difficult it was to hire employees mm-hmm. and and to uh, and and retrain them, um, retain them. Like how how often? It, like what is the turnover rate among mm-hmm. employees? How much how much investment do you put into them? And and yeah, it might it might be a good calculation. I. I would just assume, I don't, I haven't studied that at all, but I would assume that's part of what's going on. Um,
0: and then, of course, there's people who get, I mean, you hear two common complaints about shopping, and these are, again, we're talking about large national, oftentimes discounts chains, that one, the number of self-checkouts has increased greatly. So you're, in effect, doing wor- work that you used to not have to do, but then 2 as you exit the door, the store often does hire someone to stand there and want to review your receipt and make sure that the six items on the receipt match the six items in your shopping bag. And I know that also makes people grumpy.
1: Um, yeah, if they actually do review it. Yeah. Uh, sometimes they're sent, like the greeters at Walmart, mm-hmm. they might review it, but mostly they're just standing and there. Maybe and maybe if you're
0: saying, wheeling a TV out versus wheeling out a six-pack of Pepsi. That could be, Yeah.
1: I guess I've never wheeled the TV out. So I, don't know.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so I guess as we close our, our sort of trio of topics here, it, it sounds like there's sort of a mix here of of enforcement, but what you sort of talked about toward the start of just self-regulation, and, and that really is something that may be at the heart of all of these sort of issues, right? I, li-
1: I like to listen to old-time radio shows, and what's really Interesting about so many of them that were produced. There was a produ- lo- radio was radio programs were really big in the nineteen forties and fifties, and they back when you were a young kid, <laughs> <laughs> a little bit before that, and and in the sixties when I was a young kid, but but they were starting to peter out by uh, it, it, as they moved into the sixties. But so many of the sh- programs from the fifties, they they would have public service advertisements that were about citizenship and responsibility or or educating people about the history of our nation, what the Constitution says, um, what it means to be a, a respectful, the importance of education. There were all these ideas that had clearly been identified as common goods, like how we want citizens to treat one another and what we need citizens to know in order to have a healthy, and successful country. And you can understand this coming right out of World War II, where we had just done battle with with these fascist uh, countries, and we're thinking, like, how how can we maintain a democracy and not turn into that? They were very conscious of it. Um, and it's remarkable that we've abandoned all of that. We don't do anything like that anymore. And, and even to suggest it seems, oh, how or old-fashioned. Or
0: kids would just roll their eyes. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And, uh, but it's not. It's not a naive idea to say, look, we need to uh, uh, remind one another to be, to be supportive, to educate ourselves about how our democracy works, uh, what our laws say. Um, and, and what we need to know and the sorts of things we need to do, how we need to behave if we're going to have a, a, a good and flourishing country. I, I think a lot of this goes back to the fact that as a nation, we have not agreed on the importance of educating ourselves and one another about citizenship.
0: We end each show by tackling an ethical dilemma, and Rick, here's how I failed you. Um, I was sitting around trying to come up with an ethical dilemma this week, and I was just drawing a blank. And... and and you just don't have any choices that you're making
1: these days in your life that present you with a sort well, of moral conundrum.
0: I, I think part I think part of it is that I I've just not left the house much the last two weeks. I wasn't feeling well for part of it, and the weather was cold, and I just didn't interact with anybody. And most of my ethical dilemmas are are sort of like things I've experienced. So like parking, like like parking or other such things. So as I was sitting around trying to think of something, I remembered in the past, I have borrowed uh, in shortly, in, usually in January, from my other favorite podcast I listen to every week, uh, the Slate Political Gab Fest, which, uh, for those who don't know, is with David Plotz, Emily Bazelon, and John Dickerson. And I should also mention I had a chance to meet all three of them when they were, did a show live from Madison this past fall, oh, which cool. was a great experience. So, they had their show, and they, every, every around Christmas time, when there's not as much going on in the news, they have what they call their conundrum show, where they have a call out for, from listeners, for people, all sorts of ethics—and and some of them aren't really ethical. They're just sort of like conundrum-y things. And one which I like we, we, is an example of one that we won't talk about, but it, one of them was, what would, what would it have to happen in the world— for MMs to no longer be available. Oh my. Like, is that me? Would that like be like the, like, is it like, I mean, we're not talking like a, a weak supply chain issue, but like.
1: You're not talking about a, uh, like a, some kind of invasive species that attacks yeah. cocoa beans.
0: No, yeah, we're talking like, what would, is it like, what would have to happen in the world to have MMs no longer be a, a de- in demand or what? That would just, right. well, that was one of them. That's not what we're doing today, but that was just an, a flavor of some of the things they talked about. But today, um. The the question was, and I'll ask you this, and of course I will also follow suit. But it's 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 it was an interesting thing to see, kind of look at your life through this lens. What's the worst thing you like, and the best thing you can't stand? Okay. So how would you? Are you asking you me right little, now? That's what I imagine. What would you say is the worst thing you like, and the best thing you can't stand? Let's do that. We'll do this one at a time. What's the and- the best. What's the worst thing you like?
1: What's the worst thing you like? Well, I've been thinking a little bit about this. I right now, I think it's probably football. Oh, that's interesting. I I love football, both college football and NFL football,
0: and, then you're, and of course, not not to play, it, but to watch it on TV. Yeah, um, and yet uh, I
1: I've been following really closely all you know all the all the evidence of what. Uh, These traumatic brain injuries due Mm -hmm. to players, Mm -hmm. and um, and all the young people that are affected by this, you know, in middle school and high school, um, who
0: who may see themselves playing in the NFL or at least in D one college and work real hard and have bad results.
1: Yeah, and and my son played high school football and had concussions twice. Yeah, he had to sit out of games for several days, And, and you know, and as a parent, I had really mixed feelings about about him playing that game, but but also uh, like the reason we continue to watch it, and and say in college, the vast majority of these young people never go on to play professionally, and yet they're putting their lives at risk uh, and their future health at risk for the sake of the game that provides entertainment to us. Mm -hmm. And so I feel a little bit guilty about it, and yet there's nothing better than playoff football right now. I just, yeah, I, 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 just I, I really, didn't, enjoy I didn't
0: it. watch. I didn't watch. I watched honestly. Here's a true story, where were, there were four games over the last past weekend, right? And we're recording this a little bit in advance before the, this was the the what are the, was this the divisional week? Is that what they call it that would just happened? Yeah. Okay.
1: What? Well, well, they were playing off for the divisional route. Yeah. Yeah. So,
0: so we're not, <clears> and, and by the time this comes out, the the NFC and AFC championship games would have happened. And I'm not a, a football fan but I was at someone's house and and he was flipping the channels and he had on the, make sure I get the teams right here, the Chiefs-Bills game when it was on for literally like two minutes. Yeah. And the, then what I saw for the two minutes was the pass from, make sure I get my names right, Patrick Mahomes to Travis Kelsey, who of course is the Taylor Swift boyfriend. Yep. And then like the brothers up in the skybox. And like it was like the most talked about, thing from the whole game or maybe the whole weekend and that's like literally the only two minutes the only two minutes just yeah. yeah so i guess i tune in serendipitously at the right time
1: i watched all of it and i i listened to sports podcasts about the okay. games afterwards okay. and before the games i'm i really yeah. i really enjoy it and yet i
0: i think that's a um, i think it's a, a perfectly well-founded i think that's very much within the spirit of the question
1: yeah and it's i know it's not it's not a good thing for our society, probably. And it's also, like, there's some really, there's some really awful things, like, even about the Super Bowl. The amount of sex trafficking at that happens at the site of the Super Bowl, it's just amazing. I mean, it's, yeah. it's
0: more than any well, other place. And I remember being, again, not for the Super Bowl, but being up in Minneapolis a couple weeks before the Super Bowl and talking to someone at a high-end restaurant there. And they said, you don't understand. It's not Super Bowl Sunday. It's like a week or 10 days of things it's yeah. in, in the whole city. It just goes on and on. Well, here, so here's, you mentioned that you don't think, go ahead. So what about you? Well, I was going to say, you mentioned you, you didn't think football had a lot of uh, societal benefit. I think mine definitely falls in that uh, category. I, I probably find too much, get too much pleasure from being intentionally provocative on social media. And here's the example. <laughs> that doesn't surprise me and, at and all. Here's the, and I, but I, I, here's the example, just to kind of give you a sense. I think this is a, tr- a truly good representative. of I'm not like picking fights on politics almost out. I mean, I rarely ever do that. But this is on the social site next door. And somebody posted, um, of course, I won't name her. It doesn't matter. But she says, my car was broken into. I woke up this morning to find my car had been ransacked at some point through the evening in the night. Unfortunately, my camera, which I'm assuming is maybe on her house, didn't pick anything up. And here was my response. Clearly, breaking into people's cars is criminal activity and should not be tolerated. However, the best way to stop this behavior is to not keep anything of value in your vehicle. If someone broke into my vehicle, I could be at risk of losing a phone charging cable and some Kleenex in the glove box. Let's make this crime high risk and low reward. Yeah. No, I see. So I, and, and I was actually, and maybe it wasn't. Maybe that's not even a very problem. I was expecting to get a lot of pushback, like you're blaming the victim and all this. Yeah. Stuff. Did you get a lot of pushback? Nothing. I was actually disappointed. So you have to be more provocative. I maybe than that. yeah, but I, I, I guess what I try to do, and it maybe it's just a it, waste of time. You should have said
1: it's your fault for not parking your car in front of the camera. <laughs>
0: But I sometimes I I just I try to make people look at things differently. Yeah, and and I in this case and again I I wanted to be very clear that I'm not pro car break in, but I also like and and there was and part of the reason I said that I'm not going to go through the whole thread, but somebody had mentioned I think in response to her that this happened to them, but they couldn't they they because of the they they the amount of they their loss was just under $1500 so they couldn't escalate it in the police department in a certain way the and, loss of items stolen out of their car yeah, was, was just under $1500 $1, and i'm just like oh my goodness what do you keep in your car yeah i mean i don't i mean i i suppose and i don't have young kids i suppose a lot of people probably keep in car seats right and those have a value I don't. Yeah. Are those a high theft item? But I have were, no idea. I, I would.
1: So I mean, there are times, for example, where I I go somewhere and I've got my backpack with my laptops in it. Yeah, got a few other things in there, and you know, so. But I. It could. But I'm not going to leave it there overnight. Not, not, yeah,
0: I, and I. So I just. Yeah. So I don't. And that. And maybe that was not as provo- That was the most attempt of provocativeness I've had. But I do admit that I do sort of. In, in, and if somebody would have pushed back on me saying, you're just trying to blame the victim, again, it's not what anybody did in this case, but I would have no problem having engaging in them back and forth.
1: But I think the whole point of this is you were really disappointed that nobody took issue with your
0: response. I mean, there is some of that. There yeah. certainly is some of that. But I will admit that it would qualify as uh, the worst thing that I like. And to finish this topic off, what is the best thing that you can't stand? This is hard
1: because, by definition, if you can't stand it, it's hard to consider something a best thing. But I would say something that a lot of other people like mm-hmm. that I can't stand. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I'm not quite sure why other people like cats, <laughs> but I can't stand cats. And I know that a lot of people
0: like them. Yeah, And, and, yeah. Um, and I think, yeah some, yeah, some people would say they are an extremely valuable part of their life. Yeah, and so I, I am just completely
1: baffled why so many people have such poor taste in animals. <laughs> um, so maybe that counts as the best thing I can't
0: stand. I think that is very much with them. I,
1: I just find them selfish and annoying. And um, and then, you know, about a year ago, I was away on a trip and I come back and I'm met by my wife at the door saying, um, I need to talk to you about something, which is always a bad sign yes. to be greeted that way at the door. And um, she says, well, I I took in a stray cat. And so I've been living with a cat for the last year that I can't stand. Does the cat like you? No, it runs away from me. It's really afraid. I hardly ever kick it. And I don't understand this at all. Like, why?
0: So you realize there's a through line between our two things. Of course, I like cats. You like cats. But however, you know what I don't like? Cats meaning the musical cats. Oh, the musical my, my cats. Point, my bigger well, point is... I don't I, like it because it reminds me of cats. <laughs> no, but, it, but mine thing is honestly broader than that. My, well, the, the best thing I can't stand, musical theater. I just, I, I know that there are a lot of people who love it. There's, you know, Broadway is built around. I mean, not that that's all Broadway has, but that's sort of the big, the big tickets, the most popular things. It is just something I, like. I had, I, through reasons that are complicated, I ended up getting tickets to Fiddler on the Roof, Yeah, which I actually went and saw. It was like slightly better than I thought it might be, but I still didn't really enjoy it. And I just feel like I should like, a lot of people love musical theater. I feel like I should like it, but I just, I just don't. Do you like regular theater? Yes. Yes, absolutely. But once they start singing, I just have no interest. Do you like older musicals or no? No, no. You don't like no. You
1: don't like sound
0: of music, no. Oh wow. I mean, I don't. Yeah. I, I I have a soft spot for Christopher Plummer, weirdly. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, other than that, no.
1: Oh yeah, Christopher Plummer was just great.
0: And, and I mean, so like, he, he was great and everything. Yeah, yeah. But outside of that, no. Okay, no. So yeah, I, that's my. And I realize that that's a, a thing. That, Gilbert and Sullivan. Oh, I know. It's no. 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 Nothing. Um. I think I would like the Book of Mormon. I've never seen it. I'm convinced I'd probably like it. There's a lot of kind of modern
1: musical theater productions. The kinds of sorts sorts of things are in Broadway and yeah, and not we, Gilbert
0: that, and Sullivan. But no, a more. but a yeah.
1: lot of lot of the, that I don't like because I, I find the music all sounds the same.
0: So, but you but like Gilbert and Sullivan, like Pirates at Penzance, that's like a right up your alley.
1: Not right up my alley, but I do like it. Okay, and and I like a lot of the older the older Hollywood musicals. But I like the Tin Pan Alley stuff. Like okay. anything by Cole Porter and Irving Berlin. Okay. I think, is fantastic.
0: Well, so. I think I think we uh, both, for better or worse, revealed a little bit more about ourselves to our listeners today. Yeah, I guess so. Um, and if, if so, dear listener, you still uh, heard those things and want to continue to hear more, we do ask that you subscribe to the Ethical Life podcast. Be sure also, if you've not heard enough of Rick Kite, and goodness knows few of us have,
1: so just a minute. Well, wait, wait it's, it's, yes. If people haven't heard enough of me, I just want to repeat something. So the 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 worst thing that you really like is cats, and the best thing that you don't like is also cats. That's a remarkable thing.
0: Right. I'm hesitant to recommend you check out Rick's column about ethics, but this is the time of the show where I usually say that. So you may or may not want to check out Rick's column about ethics. If you choose to do that, you can find that on all the newspaper websites. For Rick Kite, I am Scott Rada. Thank you for joining us.
2: Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies.